This Agile Life. Episode 143. Skinny Agile. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. I'm John Sextro. I'm Craig Buczak. And I'm Lee McCauley. All right. Hey, guys. How's it going tonight? Pretty good. Hopefully it doesn't sound like I have a cold anymore. I'm getting over it. You got the they got the traditional cold after coming back from your conference? Yeah. Um, luckily, I didn't have it at the conference because I had to speak uh, the middle of the three days. So I don't know if I picked it up uh, during the conference or on the plane ride home. It's yucky. Lee, how are you? You're not, you don't have a I cold, am, do you? I do not have a cold. I am doing wonderful. That's great to hear. So we're going to put on a show for you guys tonight for all of our listeners. And uh, Craig, he, he had some interesting, um, interesting things to talk about, some inter- interesting things to relate to us from a marriage workshop that you went to recently. Isn't that right, Craig? What was that all about? Yeah. So it's called The Art and Science of Love. Um, by the Gottman Institute. And it talked about how to, a lot about how to talk to your spouse um, and be friends and um, be vulnerable. Um, but the the weird thing is, you know, I was, it was, it was two days, it was uh, Saturday and Sunday, and then I had to fly out uh, for the conference on Monday. Um, so it was pretty intensive. Um, but what, one of the things that stuck out to me was, how much um, of the things that they recommend as, as things that you do with your spouse, um, how much of those things actually overlap with practices we do in Agile. Um, and it reminded me how um, there's a saying that some people say that a retrospective is, is, is group counseling for your team. And apparently that's very true <laughs> using a lot of the same techniques. Such as what, what, what were some examples maybe? Um, you know, one of, one of the practices that I like to do at a retrospective is appreciations. And I don't think that was very common whenever I started doing retrospectives, but, um, they're definitely a part of, of my, um, way of doing them now. Um, so basically, um, so my wife and I've had two retrospectives. We do it every Sunday night and then we sort of plan out our week and, um, and we start with appreciations like the, like the workshop recommends. Um, and these and I, things are called retrospectives or they call them the, um, the marriage workshop called them something I else. I would imagine. I don't, I don't remember what, uh, what the weekly one is. Um, but there's something called the aftermath of a fight, which is basically a, uh, analogous to a retrospective on a single topic that, you know, is, is pertinent. Um, but then there's a weekly one. I don't remember what that one's called. And they've actually got the like daily practices too. When you, when you leave, you're supposed to kiss your spouse. And when they, they come back, you're supposed to, um, you know, kiss them again for six seconds, which is surprisingly long. Um, do and we do you, that in agile teams? I'm confused. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Amos and I do, right? Um, <laughs> oh, TMI. Oh, no. Just just kidding. <laughs> um, but then there's another 20-minute practice to uh, – it's called the stress reduction uh, conversation. You know, um, the one of the very last shows that we did before we took our very long hiatus was called Shower Stand-Up. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody on the show tonight remember that topic? I remember the the title. I don't want to probably remember how detailed we got in with the TMI. <laughs> I, I don't remember. He's awfully quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I honestly don't remember. Do you want to jog our memory there, John? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, listeners can go back and uh, and listen to that episode. But uh, Lee, you mentioned how you and your wife have a morning stand-up in the shower. Oh, oh yeah. that's funny. It was Lee. <laughs> yeah. No one expected that from Lee. 
Oh, yeah. What? Because I can't have a shower with my wife every morning? <laughs> no, just uh, the, the TMI. It's not usually Lee. No one ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. Exactly. Um, so a couple other things um, that that are similar to Agile practices. Um, there's actually some patterns that they have. Um, blamelessness. Uh, there's actually some focus on process, um, which which I found pretty interesting. Um, what is blamelessness? I, so like in a retrospective, when you're trying to solve a problem, you're, you're trying not to say that it's this person's fault. You're, you're supposed to say, well, what's the, what's the root cause of this problem and how can we address that? Although, you know, you can take, you can take blame yourself, but you can't assign blame during, during one of those retrospectives or in this case, uh, after you've had a fight and you're, you're making up and, and trying to get over that. Well, how is that supposed to work in a relationship? Um, stop blaming them or at least, you know, stop saying that you're blaming them. Stop, stop using language. That's, that's blaming. Um, like you ran over my foot with the car. Exactly. So, so use, what use am I like, supposed to say? The car like, <laughs> rolled over my foot. You were yeah. in behind the wheel. Um, well, you know, maybe the car had a, a mechanical problem. Maybe it wasn't their fault. Maybe, um, maybe you shouldn't be so uh, so upset about someone making a mistake. Yeah, you shouldn't be. No, it should be like <laughs> I feel. So the the language is like I language instead of you language. Uh, starting your sentences with I, and I've heard this before, and I think that these people actually um, invented this this idea of using the I language instead of the you language. Interesting. And, and, uh, and do you think that that's saying things like that in retrospectives is healthy or what is there, is there any accountability of blame or, or uh, like I said, you not, can, not necessarily assignment of blame, but like I said, you can, out. you can accept blame, but you can't assign blame or place blame. Okay. Um, so the other thing is, um, Something I learned. So that language, the I language, um, and some other things are called softened startup. Um, so I learned a bit about that. So it's not just the I language, but like, you know, don't be accusatory and, and try to be nicer how you phrase things. Think about it. Um, and I think, I think Tyson, I talked about the, you know, we've talked on here about the shit sandwich where you deliver bad news inside of wrapped up in two pieces of good news. Um, the, the Oreo sandwich of uh, yeah 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 of I bad think news. people usually call it the Oreo <laughs> ah, technique well, and not like the it. shit sandwich technique. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they uh, the, this is basically a, a better um, method of delivering you know maybe bad news or or um, addressing maybe some strong bad feelings that you have in a, in a more productive way than, than the shit sandwich. And that's, that's the, the softened startup, just being careful about your language, um, being careful not to assign blame or, or, or make people feel defensive. That, that's probably the biggest part. Don't make people feel defensive um, when, you're, when you're talking with your spouse, especially during or after a fight, and, and also in retrospectives. Okay, this is this. I like this one. How uh, maybe you if you and if you don't know the answer, that's okay. But what did they how did they counsel you about not making someone feel what was it attacked? <laughs> no, 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 no. The, um, the word you use. Oh, defensive. Defensive. Probably. How do I not make someone feel defensive? Um, well, one thing is actually, um, uh, basically sort of creating a bank account of, of good feelings. Um, but that's, that's sort of a longer term thing. Um, let's see. My check always bounces. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. That's one of the reasons we went that our, our bank account was a little over overdrawn. Um, Cause I don't know that <clears throat> I don't know that I can control someone else's feelings. Right. I can't. Right. Right. I You're only control. controlling your own. And, and your language and how you're speaking to them. I mean, you, you, you sort of know some language that's going to set someone off, right? Like their triggers. Yeah. Stay away from those. Um, you know, don't, um, I'm trying to look here through the workbook that, uh, but I'm, it, it's a long workbook. It's about, I think 150 page, hundred plus pages. So, 
Um, I'm not finding exactly the questions you're looking for. That's okay. I'm sure. I'm sure by the by maybe by the next show. That's your homework, then, Craig. For the next show, I want to. I would like to hear the advice on oh, how I can avoid from making here's a good one. Defensive. Like here, here's actually a fill in the blanks. So um, say things in this way. I feel blank about blank, and I need blank. I feel like you ran over my toe. No, you can't say you. (laughs) Oh, I feel like. And it's not. It's it's more about emotions and feelings than, you know, something that happened that that, that's. I feel sad because my toe was run over with the car. (laughs) Maybe you got out while it was still moving. See, you're 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 making you're me feel defensive. This is blame. You're making me feel defensive. Uh huh. No. <laughs> Man, you're really bad at this. <laughs> I'm still married, almost twenty years. Ah, I'm going on ten. All right. Well, I mean, I think we should touch. I think we should check in on this uh, progress as this continues on, and we can figure out. Like, especially if there are exercises that you guys do where you're like, hey, this could be something to use in a retro. You know, we keep coming back to these. So I I always have uh, a little trouble relating to some of these. Um, uh, The exercises in general? The the exercises in general, just because I I think that the, uh, the key is honestly having mutual respect between the people that you're interacting with, uh, whether that be your wife or the person that you've been pair married to for the last week. <laughs> your pairage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Here, here's some, some more details. Um, oh, hold on a second. Hold on a sure. second. So, so Lee's saying, you're saying what Lee, you, you, you would just rather have like, I wouldn't say uh, genuine I, conversation rather than jump through hoops playing doing an exercise or playing a game. I think that if you're at the point where uh it, it's not a bad idea to try to think about how how you phrase things. That's that's fine. I'm not going to I'm not going to poo-poo any of these ideas. But if you don't honestly have uh respect and admiration for that person in some way or shape or form, then it doesn't matter what words you're looking for. Uh, It's either fake um, in that you're just trying to appease them in some way, and that's going to come through. um, Or, uh, or you're going to say something wrong and it's, you're just going to make it worse. So to me, it starts with an attitude and it doesn't matter. You got to have the attitude before you have the words. Yeah, I, I would think that I could say I could structure the words in all the in all the right way, but if I if my eyes were conveying hatred <laughs> or, or anger, right, and, and my and I was you know my voice was raised and and sounding angry, it doesn't matter what those words are because there's there's other language that's that's going on that's coming out of me that's nonverbal. All right, here's here are the six skills for managing conflict. Uh, number one is self-soothing, soothing. So basically, calm down first. Uh, the softened startup, which is the, are you the allowed to say calm down? Uh, this is yourself. No, you're calm supposed yourself to calm yourself down. down. Gotcha. Uh, de-escalate. Um, verbal and non-verbal gestures of staying on a healthy track in a discussion. Listen to your partner's underlying feelings. Accept their influence. Um. And then compromise. And then, so here's the uh, softened startup words. Um, well, how many of those would you advocate for using in a retrospective? Um, if there's actually a serious conflict, probably all of them. Yeah, definitely. Good. Yeah. Um, so here's the softened startup, which is the, the the wording of things. And and a lot of this is sort of a, a mindset it's just as much as the words. Uh, make statements, statements that start with I instead of you to avoid blame. Um, complaining is okay. Criticizing is not. Uh, describe as what is happening. Don't evaluate or judge. That's a big one, actually. Talk clearly about what you need in positive terms. Um, be polite and give appreciations. 
And then here's some examples of harsh versus uh, soft startups. Um, harsh is, um, I saw the new dent in the car. Were you ever going to tell me about it? When are you going to stop being so reckless? And then the softened is, I saw the new dent. What happened? Honey, I'm feeling worried about your driving. I want you to be safe. Can we talk about this? <laughs> I'm worried about your driving. Yeah, that's a bit. Yeah, weird, that's but. a, yeah. But that it's, would not but go it's more well. well, but it's more about my feelings instead of you're a terrible driver. How you about know? how about ooh, I saw the dent. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, that's even better, actually. <laughs> that, so that's the kind of the kind of ways of thinking about communicating that that it will improve any kind of relationship, really. Yeah, you, so you could uh, you could say a similar thing to uh, someone on your team, like, "Hey, I saw you're having having problems." Staying focused today is everything okay? Yep. Yep. Perfect. Rather than uh, I see you're on your phone a lot, <laughs> and and you could sort of add an appreciation to that. Like usually you're pretty darn focused and keeping everyone else focused. Yeah, that'd be good if that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you don't want to be insincere either. No. We got to be honest. People see through insincerities as well. Definitely. Yeah. Another thing that, uh, that I think is a good, a good thing, both in a marriage and at work is not making assumptions about what other people's, uh, what other people are going to, um, going to do just because they seem to do that, do that thing a lot. So for example, um, from a from a marriage perspective, just because I always take out the trash or most of the time take out the trash, it doesn't mean that my wife assumes that I'm going to be the one taking out the trash. Uh, she doesn't wait for me to do it necessarily. And when I do do it, she still – this is the appreciation thing. She'll still say, oh, yeah, thanks for taking out the trash, not just ignore it because, oh, Lee always takes out the trash. You can do the same thing at work where – Oh, uh, uh, Suzanne always ends up, uh, bringing the donuts on Friday. Um, but that, so are you going to just assume that she's always going to bring the donuts? No. Even if she does, you say, wow, thanks. I appreciate that. That's a great example. Well, yeah, I like that Lee. Uh, I like, I like that, especially in the context of getting things done getting things done on a team. So bringing in the donuts is, you know, well, great. Okay. We've got donuts or we don't have donuts, but if someone, if someone, what about, so you, you know, you really sort of need to get the trash out to the curb at, on the, the frequency required by your, your trash collection company. And if, and if you didn't get the trash out, uh, how would, how would your family ensure that the trash was taken to the curb? Yeah, I mean that's actually a great example because I'm usually the one that takes the trash out because I'm usually the one that leaves first. But uh uh they would definitely figure it out if I wasn't there or if I missed it that morning and I wouldn't get a uh hey you didn't take out the trash today um kind of a thing. You know, it would it would kind of be uh it probably wouldn't even be talked about. It would just be a okay, that that happened. No big deal. Nobody cares. I see this happening on teams where people fall into doing certain activities or tasks uh, for for a team, and uh, then then it's not explicitly uh, described as to who should do the thing. It's just that oh, uh, Sally 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 always always pushed the button that deployed things to QA, but. Sally didn't push the button this time. And then nobody pushes the button <laughs> until, until everyone notices at some point later on, uh, QA is not up to date. What happened? Well, Sally didn't push the button. Yeah. Or Sally's not here or she's been moved to a different team or has changed companies. So do you think Lee, it would be worthwhile, uh, as a, as a family or as a team that if that was explicitly called out as like, this is Lee's responsibility. He takes he takes the garbage out. Now, if we happen to notice that that doesn't happen, we can we can agree that you know people make mistakes and forget things, and and that 
oh, dad forgot to take out the, the garbage. So let's help him out and get the garbage to the curb. Yeah. I mean, I think being explicit about, uh, about roles and, and expectations is always a benefit. Um, I kind of might disagree on that. Um, okay. on, on the highest performing team that I was on with Amos, it was sort of like whoever's available and sees the need does it. Um, and, and it was sort of a, a nicely balanced responsibilities in that, in that respect. But I, I, maybe until you get to that high performing team that that really can't be expected and you should be a little more explicit about things. Um, but of course you should always have, you know, the primary and, and, and backup people um, in case that primary person's not there. I think sometimes it it's um, it's good to make it clear, but you're right. If you've got uh, if you've got a situation where um, uh, the a certain tasks should be shared across the team, then it should be clear that it's the team's responsibility, though. So you can't just you can't just um, leave it unspoken. So either it's a person's responsibility or it's the team's responsibility. And if it, if it is the team's responsibility, then anybody should be able to just that sees a, uh, a task needing to get done just goes and does it. Yeah. And I think the deployments is a really good example. Um, sometimes, you know, a certain person might enjoy it more than other people. And it, it might be a, a task is not typically enjoyable. Right. Um, or someone might be better and quicker at it. Um so that person sort of might just volunteer and just do it most of the time, sort of like you're taking out the trash. You know, it's just more convenient for you than than anyone else, probably. Right. One of the things I liked about the taking out the trash example is that it's there's a constraint involved with it. There's a deadline. There's a deadline for it. It has to be out every Thursday or whatever your trash day is. And there are things like that in, in real life. I was on a team once where. Um, I think it was Thursdays as well that, that we would, would do a, a little summary where we collected up, we would put these little sticky notes on, on a piece of white paper in the team area that was like our little team accomplishments, just little things. But once a week on Thursday, we would pull them all down, write them down and post them uh, in an area where our product owners and, and some other people could publicly see those those things. And then it always fell back to one person to do that. Um, it was me. And if, if I wasn't there, then, then people would forget that it needed to get done. Primarily the primary reason they would forget that it needed to be done was they had forgotten the day on which it, it needed to be done. And the way we solved, anybody could do it. It was a very simple thing to do, but the way that we solved that was that we just created a little robot reminder uh, that every Thursday it would tell us in our Slack channel, hey, you guys, it's time to write up your weekly accomplishments. All right. I guess we're done with that topic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't All know right. that I, I don't know that I have enough time to go into uh, my big topic, but we can give it a try. Let's go for it. All right. So the other thing we wanted to talk about tonight was I had a, I had an idea for, for something I wanted to call skinny agile and it, it don't, I don't care what it's called or it's not even a real thing, but I just wanted to have a, a conversation and sort of do a thought experiment about it. And, and my thought about it was, and I didn't prep Craig or Lee with this. I just, I wanted them to go in, go in without any preconceived notions um, I, I gave him a little bit of a heads up that we would talk about this, but I wanted to say, I want to boil everything down to two, three, four, um, I don't know, sentences of what we're going to do as a team. And and I just wanted to start it off with two, two rules or two statements that we would make sure we're always true on a team and see if, see if just that would be enough to have a, a, a high functioning team that would get things done. So, so rule, uh, it's really one, one sort of compound rule, I guess, which maybe is, is a cheat, but the rule is, are the, uh, the principle or the guideline or the tenant or whatever you want it to call it is. Um, and these are, these are based on, I'm pulling, I'm sort of 
saying from the four tenets of the Agile Manifesto and the 12 principles, you know, trying, trying to use work around those things. So the, the four, I don't know, vision statements are individuals over interactions, working software, or sorry, individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation and responding to change over following a plan. So I thought I just wanted to boil that down to one statement, and that is working software over comprehensive documentation that's delivered every, let's say, week. So it would, if, I, if I put that statement out there and nothing else, would that be enough for a team to operate? All I ask is that you deliver working software Frequently, at least once a week. So I'm yes, not sure. But. I'm not sure about the uh, <laughs> the specific time frame, and I'm I'm still trying to figure out if it actually covers all of the other. Uh, you're you're claiming that that statement will cover uh, or satisfy what was intended by the four, um, uh, the four vision uh, statements for the manifesto, correct? Sort of. Um, I What I'm saying is I think if you do that one statement that everything else uh, sort of has to automatically fall Im- into implicit, place. Implicitly is included. Yeah. Like the you, you there are things you're going to have to figure out how to do along the way in order to be able to do deliver working software once a week. That's why the time frame exists, because it, it's a forcing function. Mm-hmm. I, I like. The word I I took notes and I said delivered in short intervals. So let's not get hung hung up on the on the one week. Let's just call it a short interval. No, this is my often. It has to it has to be be one week. Yeah, tell me why. Tell me why not. Why? Because some people are doing better than that already. That's fine. At least once a week. Oh, at least once a week. Okay. You can deliver. Ideally, you could deliver, and then if you wanted to add something onto it. My next thing to add on to it would be to do to deliver more frequently. And I would say that the next rule, the next piece of guidance, I'm calling these rules because I'm a jerk, but um, <laughs> the next commandments, rule, how about there, commandments? There you Ooh. go. Commandments. Thank you. <laughs> the next commandment is that every story has to be deployed when it's finished. I like that one. That way. Uh, and, and, and the story has to be valuable and observable in some fashion. So now I'm up to three things, right? So um, because we've had recent conversations about this, a similar topic at, at uh, the office recently, um, I can think of, of things that would be considered value that don't necessarily aren't visible to a customer. So he didn't for example, say customer for one thing, though. He said just visible, I think. Visible, or yeah, usable and observable. Observable. So, hmm. uh, so uh, updates so that we get the, uh, the latest security uh, patches. We got to do that. Nobody's going to see it unless something goes wrong. I guess I guess they might see that it's a new version or be able to see that there's a yeah, new version. Yeah, but that's not that's not observable uh unless unless your your definition of observable goes way beyond where in, I was expecting it in, to be. In the code even because you'd have to look at oh hey uh Well sure, that means, Java a com- version that means I can put a I can put a comment in a code and and that's observable value. Yeah, I think that's that's a bit fair. All right, and, and we'll, we'll stop critiquing for a bit. Move, no, move no, on. That, that's okay. No, I, this is exact. I want critiquing, and I want to. I want to go back to to Lee on this one to say. Um, so you're upgrading. You're up upgrading something, and yeah. the observability of it could be. You know, you you tell that over to whatever the thing is, and you're like, look, version. You do the you do a dash v command on something, and you see, hey, this is the version, and you can you can demonstrate that that's valuable because it will, it will prevent, um, 
future security exploits or something along those lines? Well, the problem is, is you can't demonstrate it. You can, you can claim it. Well, um, I, but I can and demonstrate. You have, and you might have good reason to believe it's true. I can tell that over to the box and demonstrate to you that it's the version. Sure. That's, okay. that's the demonstration. Yeah, but that doesn't demonstrate that it's fixed any security issues. Then what, then, then why do it? What's the value of it? Well, that's, that's one of the things we just have to trust that that version does what we claim and what has been claimed to us, actually. I, I think that it forces people to put, put some of this stuff under a microscope and say, while that thing might be, I agree that the thing is important to do, but I just want to understand what the value is and, and be very explicit about the value and make sure that everyone is on the same page about, is this a, is this a valuable thing to do? Yes or no. Is this, is it worth doing right now? Yes or no. Yeah. I don't think we disagree with that. It's the observability that it's sometimes difficult. And, and while um, a lot of times on a bug fix, I actually have tried to validate that, you know, um, the current version is um, showing a, an issue. And when I roll out the new version that it doesn't have that issue anymore, that's not always possible, especially if, if the issue has not yet been disclosed or it's, it's too complicated for me to figure out how to, how to easily uh, validate it. Well, I don't care about easy. See, you, you, you don't, ah, that's a we, good point. We don't get to have a pass just because something is not easy, right? I mean, if, how do you know, how do I, how do, would I know if I paid you to fix my muffler, I need to be able to have observable proof that my muffler is fixed. Hopefully the, the rough sounding noise coming from my car is gone. That would be my observability of, of you fixing the bug with my muffler. Yeah, there's there's some other things though that um, like if you've got emissions that you're you may not see them or smell them or anything that um, there are going to be some places where there's some trust. No, I'm definitely not trusting mechanics. So <laughs> so you so you uh, when they do the the emissions test, you make sure you're looking at the meter. Well, that's the I trust the readout from the emissions test, and I get yeah, a report. That, that seems that fair, I guess. Is observable to me that says. It passed. Okay. All right. You got a next rule? No. I mean, those, uh, is oh, that, I, that an, is, four. It, I, I don't want to have four. So, I, so let's, so let's I don't talk really like about to the, have three. Yeah. So let's talk about the, the four elements of the manifesto and go over those and see how the statement that you, that you put forth actually covers those Impl even implicitly. So let's explicitly talk about each piece of the manifesto. Sure. So first one uh, is uh, we value face-to-face uh, uh, -face interaction um, over uh, – what was it? Processes uh, and Processes, tools. yeah. Yeah. I don't even um, believe in that one. I think we do – well, maybe we I, – I think we do have a lot of faith in processes in, in Agile. It's not um, that we don't – now, don't may, forget it. Yeah, I guess, I guess yeah. It's I, not that we don't value the things that are on the right. We're saying that we just right. value the things on the left more. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one, though. Um, I mean, it seems important, but honestly, I would talk about empathy and communication if I were to write this kind of manifesto today. But do I need? But do I need to? Do I need to clearly state this somewhere? Do I need to make it one of my commandments? In my hypothetical world here that I'm creating for myself called Skinny Agile, do it, I need to specify that or have, is there going to be a, is there, is something not going to happen? Is something going to keep me from doing the three things that I've outlined so thus far? Because I don't say, explicitly say individuals and interactions over processes and tools. So I think the difference is, is that your statement focuses on the outcome, not on the how to achieve the outcome. Yeah. Where this particular statement in the manifesto talks about this is one of the methods that or one of the things that should be highly valued in order to uh, to help you reach that outcome. It's not talking about the outcome itself. Right. So my my claim is that the that the three the three commandments thus far will force these other things to happen sort of automatically. Like you'll have to value individuals and interactions in order to do the three things that I've stated, deliver working software 
at least once a week that you have to deploy every story after it's finished and the stories have to, the stories that you deploy have to be valuable and observable. Yeah. I'm not sure where that is implied, but does it, even if it doesn't, isn't implied, does it keep, does not stating that keep me from accomplishing those three things? Um, it doesn't keep you from accomplishing those, but it also gives you no guidance as to what values help you accomplish them. Because, and I don't want to, I don't want to overcomplicate people's lives. I mean, how many, if people can remember three things, we're lucky, right? If you can, or three or four things, like we, I even forget these four things. Mm-hmm. So if I can boil, if I can boil skinny agile down to just three statements that I can print on the back of a, a business card or something. That's a lot easier for people to remember, hopefully, than for these four tenants valued things and then 12 principles. Um, if you, uh, It sounds like you're trying to get to the, what the essence of Agile is. And, and we've talked about that Hell before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I thought I had notes on this somewhere and I can't find them, but... Um, I mean, a lot of it's just adapt and inspect or, or inspect and adapt is, is like, if I had to put it in, you know, three words that those would probably be my three words. But that's, that doesn't have, um, you know, demaic or define, measure, analyze, improve control or inspect and adapt. I mean, none of those, those are hows of accomplishing something. And these are the things that I'm saying you have to accomplish. So you can how it all you want. Well, I think the how is what sort of makes Agile different. Yeah. And this is the forcing function that causes you to do the how. So there are going to be ways that you might try to do the how that aren't going to work, that you you won't be able to do these things. I think you just won't be able to do them as well. Yeah. Right. Could be. That that would would be be my fear. Like, yeah, like, okay, we need to do this, but we don't have a real solid direction, I think. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I don't. I don't know that the the manifesto is a is a terribly solid direction either. Um, yeah. So if you start falling down on the fact that all of our stories are not valuable and observable, that would cause you to do do something. That would cause you to do some amount of work, some amount of introspection or retrospection to some some amount of redesigning how how it is that you're working to figure out how can we get our stories so that they're they're each each individually valuable and observable when we deploy them. Now those uh, those things are our goals. And just like you want to do you want to be perfect on a project, you may not always get there, but the journey towards being per- perfect is is still worthwhile. So you may not always be able to accomplish all of these things all of the time. Um but if you if you try to do these most of the time, I think that's still good. I I would I would agree with that. I mean these are these are worthwhile for sure. Um do they do they quite fit the entirety of agile? Maybe not, but um a a large portion, yeah, I think so. And I don't know that they necessarily are do anything agile at all. I mean, if you could figure out how to do this without agility, that that would be interesting. I'd like, I'd like to see what that would look like. You know, if I said go, so the whole idea would be if I said go on a project tomorrow and we got a room full of smart people together and said go, gave you a real clear vision and a mission and stuff to start working on, we started banging out some stories. Could we in a week have the first thing to deploy? And then every week after that. And I I could do the same thing for the next week and never actually talk to my customer. (laughs) Um, And I can keep delivering stuff. Well, you don't get to decide what valuable is. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing pretty much. But but you didn't didn't have that in there either. You just said that had value. So value is defined by, not by us as the people that are creating the thing, but the value is is defined by whoever it is that's the the stakeholder, the owner the, of, of the thing. Well, well, we know that as, uh, because that's just kind of the, the given for, for the way we work, but 
if you're trying to create the definition, then that isn't stated. So, okay. Uh, and, and I could, I could still, and sometimes, you know, dev teams do this. They have to decide on some particular piece of value. We have to, we have to do this one back, back end piece before we can do this other one. And it's got to be delivered and pushed out to production and, the customer isn't really going to see anything here. Sure, I could show them some some change in the size of the code and tell them that it that it's in preparation of this other feature that they really want, but they can't actually see the 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 difference here. But we but we can convince them that it's valuable, maybe. Um, and I can I can do that a lot and not actually interact with the customer enough. So it's but it's it's not observable. It has to be valuable and observable. Oh yeah, but the point is, is that uh, for by your definition of observable, I can still prove it's observable. But I don't know. I don't know if it's valuable because I can't do anything with it. What can I do with it? Uh, it is uh, that. That's the point. Is I think this is an example where you have value, but it isn't something you could necessarily demonstrate to a customer. So uh, how, how, how about is, then? So, tell me how it's valuable. Sometimes I take my car and get my oil changed, but I don't know that my car doesn't feel like it's running better. It's, it's more preventing the oil from getting so, so dirty that it starts running badly. Um, and, and that's what tech debt is sort of, you know, this, there's this buildup and this buildup until all of a sudden things start going badly. Um, but I need to prevent that before it starts happening, not, not when it starts happening. Well, if you were the one that was putting gunk into your car that was making the oil degrade. It wasn't, it, it wasn't I, gunk when I did it. Then I would no, agree yeah. that it was tech debt. No, no. Uh, basically because the oil has been in there for 12,000 miles and maybe I should have changed it at 6,000 miles. But, but, but so- software running by itself does not change its viscosity. Whereas oil does through its running through the engine. So I, I'm not, uh, that's not tech debt. All right. Tech debt. Well, I, mean, I, I still think. Yeah, I, I, I still <laughs> well, think your that's, your that's definition of observability doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Say that again, Lee. Um, I, I think your your reliance on observability just will not uh, will not actually hold up. Well, I, I I I want you to so I want you to go back to the example that you were talking about in it. Yeah. And and say it to me again so, so that we can uh, try and so get to the bottom. So here's here is. Um, We've got a, an upcoming feature that we know is going to necessarily change the schema um, of data coming down the line. We've got stuff in production that we can't break. So we have to put some stuff into play in place on the app that the customer cannot see um, that will make sure that when that when that new change comes down the line in about a month, that the app doesn't break or people that are on the old version of the app don't break. We've just got to do it. And sure, I could show you in a, in a JSON file someplace where we put in some fields that have values in them that weren't there before. That's observable. But from a, from a uh, customer's perspective, nothing changed. Right. So, okay. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to say something now, but I want you to understand that I'm, I'm doing this just to play the devil's advocate. And I, I just, I'm, I'm just, this is just, again, a thought experiment and I'm not necessarily believing any of these things, but I just want to, I, I think this is an interesting conversation and going through this thought experiment helps, helps us expand a little bit, think about things from different angles, right? Mm-hmm. So what you described after having given, given all that caveat, I would say, if I was paying for this to be done out of my own pocket, paying uh, a, you know a group or a project, a team, whatever it is, to do this work, I would say that to me, I, I'm, that's not valuable at all. Don't, don't tell don't, me how to do break. my job. Don't it'll yeah. break in, in the break in hey, the future. If you don't listen to your mechanic when he tells you to do maintenance, you're going to have a bad time. So we want. I still want the thing. So I've asked for a thing. And you said, we're going to do 75% of the work now. And in the future, we'll come back and do the other 25% of the work. And then you get the apple. 
today. Well, or or we can break your schema today, have mad users, but deliver it to you tomorrow. No, stop. You don't get to break anything. You well, don't get to break anything because you're not going to change anything. So when, when we actually need to change it, then let's go ahead and make the change and get the whole thing done. You give me the whole apple. But, the, but that's, I, I, one cannot, time. I cannot give you the whole apple. I cannot give you that. Yes. Sometimes schema changes require phased rollouts. Why? I don't. I, I. Okay. So, so here's the situation. Um, and using the schema as our example in this case. So um, if uh, the we've got a, a mobile app that don't don't need, give me don't give me too many too many details. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, we've got a mobile app that uh, needs to be able to handle a schema change in the future. So uh, so that if because uh, we know that we can't force every one of our users to switch to the new version of the app immediately. But there will be, um, there will be additional uh, uh, changes. There will be changes to data in the future that will be coming down to the app because the app already does get dynamic data. So the, those data changes will come down to all apps, all mobile devices that are running our, our uh, application. Um, and uh, right now, if we if we rolled out that data change, then those old versions of the app would break. Ah, OK. So now that you've explained that to me, that's valuable to me because you can stage ultimately giving me the apple. But you can't give me the apple in one piece right now because it would break everything. So you have to you have to do the thing. Yep. You have to do a backwards compatibility thing so it doesn't break. And then you, you do that step one, right? Yep. There's value there because uh, it's, it's enabling step two. But yeah. Step one is still observable because I can see that, Hey, there's a new schema and the thing didn't break. I can observe new schema thing didn't break. Well, the, the first one is there's just a, a new, um, there's just code changes. There's no data changes at this point. There's code changes to enable the, the data change that we're going to make in the future. Uh, okay. So that I don't like because I, you don't know that the integration is going to work and I, we know how much, how fun well, it we is. We can when- test it. We can, we can do the things that uh, on our, on our uh, development environments and our QA, we can do the, the schema change that we're planning to do uh, in the near future. And we can make sure that the thing doesn't break. But yeah. in production, I'm not actually delivering any any data changes. I, I'm only delivering a new version of the app that once those data changes do occur, won't break. So that's valuable. A version of the app that won't break. I agree. With, with but, new data changes. But all we're, but it's not observable. It to is the observable. Customer. No, like, uh, they can observe that, that nothing happens. It doesn't that break. It, it that's continues a- to work. Yes, but, that it continues to work is observable because it is also observable if it would break. Okay, but it's not it's not a potential break until in the future. Well, you would have to if you know, again, if I was if I was writing the check and you were convincing me, you would have to show me that this was actually a thing that that could break or I wouldn't believe you. I I I may not be able to build software for you then. That that's just sort of the nature of how it works sometimes. And I, so, you know, again, thought experiment, I'm pushing the boundaries here and uh, trying to force us to have a conversation about what the value, what is really valuable. So I think the conversation is good to have and to keep, keep teams focused on making sure that they're considering what the customer values um, and giving the customer the most value they can uh, at the time at any given iteration, right? Any given week. Um, so I think the conversation is good. Uh, I think my, my only quibble is with once you try to codify that. Sure. Into the three, into the three commandments. Right. (laughs) I mean, some, sometimes the value we provide is, 
flexibility in the future. That's that's actually a big yeah. thing we provide sometimes. Not now, not like you, like you ain't gonna need it, but like not not painting ourselves into a corner. Sure, and and that's that part that part of not painting ourselves into a corner from a from a coding perspective. I I would as a person that is that is employing um, a group to do work for me would say. Yes, I expect that from you. That's a, those are good engineering practices, just like real and just like not real engineers, but like, like <laughs> st- structural engineers, they do things where they build in a factor of safety. That's right. That's a good practice that you expect structural engineers to do, right? I would expect the same sort of thing from a software engineer that they're going to do things well, that they're going to structure things well, that they're not going to paint themselves into corners. That we're going to test it. Um, so, but what I wouldn't want to do is say, and and this is this is probably where you, it gets starts to get really ugly when you're having conversation. Is is like, yeah, we're going to work on this. We're going to deliver this story that's tech debt, where we we're going in and we're like restructuring um, n- imports or we're going to re restructure the way the code is organized or we're going to, um, I don't know, you know, so, some of that tech, that stuff where it's like, we're going to do general cleanup stuff. It's like, what is the value? And you can still sell value around those things because you can say the code is more maintainable and it's easier to do. But you can't prove that to a customer you, you if can't. they're not soft- a software developer. <laughs> even right, if and they are even if they are <laughs> that's sort of the problem with uh tech debt on a lot of projects is it's really yeah. really hard to convince a product owner to take the time but it's it's and we've talked about tech debt a lot before it's less problematic maybe in some cases to um, not create the tech debt in the first place but not it's not yeah, always that, I, i'm not sure not. that it's possible to not create any tech debt ever of of course of course not i mean you Unless you, you even know if, what you're building ahead of time, and uh, which means you probably have already built it eight times before. That 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 yeah. could be true. But even if you're even if you're going at a pace, a sustainable pace, that you feel like you should never end up introducing tech debt, tech debt, you may inadvertently wait, wait, do wait, something. Wait, wait, are you are you adding a sustainable pace as a commandment now? No, <laughs> not at all. I'm, I, I don't I don't think I I don't think I need that one in here uh, yet. I haven't seen a reason to add another thing yet. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I, I sort of had problem, have problems with the, the, the agile manifesto in itself. I mean, really what, what happened was that these people came up with some practices that, that work in certain contexts and they got together and tried to see how they, they were related and sort of came up with these values to tie them together. But in a way you're you're in a way you're kind of on the right track here like these are some practices that work these are sort of the core um some of the most important ones to work i personally i would put you know retrospectives as as the first one because that's the inspect and adapt um but but i i like to think of it as these practices have been shown to work in many various varying contexts uh, and so we've we found value in that and and then we sort of tried to um, find the reasons why they work. Yeah. Um, so, um, I, I'm sort of, so the, the agile manifesto is, is going to be 20 years old in, uh, in, in like a year. I think, I think it was, I think the group got together in 99 or 2000. So maybe it's already 20 years old. Uh, I think um, it was 2001. I, I think that's when they created the website, but I think they, oh, that might be re- it. regardless, it's, it's almost 20 years old, regardless of if it's yep. 20 years old or not. And no, I feel like very little has, has been done to sort of talk about or challenge or evolve this. And they even say in the manifesto, the, the one of the lines is we recognize that things are always changing and that um, we're learning new things, but in 20 years, what have we learned? This, this, the Agile Manifesto isn't perfect. We all agree that there's things about it that are problematic, maybe. Where, where are people that are pushing the boundaries of this and, and trying to say, hey, there's, there's other ways to look at this. There's better ways to try and do things. And then codify it in a way that a community can, can consume. I just haven't seen, I, I, and I, I've called for this like 
five years ago and uh, maybe, maybe longer when I was doing the conference track with Jason Tice, it was, I was seeing the same conference topics being, being shat out again and again, conference to conference. And it's like, this is boring because it's how to run an effective scrum stand up and um, <laughs> how to do this shit and how to do that shit. It's like, I'm done with that. I'm somebody well, tell me but, something. But what that's about like the mind what about expanding? The f- what about the fifty percent of people who haven't been to an agile conference where where that is that. still effective? I, that that's sort of the problem with conferences is that uh, the more you go, the less you get out of them. Um, yeah, unless you're I, a hallway track or speaking or whatever. I think that you know, in general, a conference isn't training. Uh, even though some people from might disagree with it, a conference is to go out there and propose something like I'm doing here tonight with you guys, and that's why I quit doing conferences was because I'd rather talk to the four or five of us that are on this podcast and throw things out to a much broader audience than just at a, at a conference and say, other people poke holes in this and tell me why this is a bad idea. Because there's a lot of this that's probably a terrible idea. And you guys have pointed some of that out tonight. But I want people to challenge what they're doing every day and think more about it and not just turn the, constantly, you know, walk or uh, push the little salt grinder ah. wheel so, so your your <laughs> so your zeroth your zeroth commandment is to challenge yourself and to <laughs> and to think about these these things that's right yeah and that's the lesson we all learned this so it sounds to me john like uh, like you want to you want to put this to our listeners and go they can go to our slack and discuss this stuff on on a uh, a community thread. I'd really like to just create a church around this, and people can start donating money to the church. <laughs> nice. That is where the money is, right? That's what that's what they say, Lee. If, if you really want to make, if you really want money, start a church. <laughs> I think it was L. Ron Hubbard that said that. Yes. <laughs> Damn it! I think he had a bet with You're his too friend wise. that he could, that he could start a church. Yeah. See, I had commandments and everything, Lee. You, you blew my cover. Oh. <laughs> Just don't tell the government that it's not really a church. No, I would. I would love. I, I, honestly, I would love that's, to see. That's the problem. Oh, I get it. That's what's been plaguing all of these software development uh, projects. It's Thetans. <laughs> I think you're going to say that, that we are for profit. <laughs> Tiny little aliens that have attached themselves to us and invisible. Yeah. I mean, I would love for people to, to do thought experiments like this more and challenge the status quo more and, and try things out. We don't, I don't think we, I don't think we run enough true experiments on teams. You know, we do, we do little safe experiments like let's move the stand up to nine 30 or let's, you know, do the retrospective once a week instead of every other week or um, make sure we always pull from the left. But it's like, what are, where are the real experiments happening? I want to know. I think that would be a great topic for a uh, for a podcast is let's talk about how you actually go from those safe experiments to real experiments. All right. We'll add it to our backlog. This week's hottest picks. All right, we've got a few picks for you tonight. I'll go first. Since we were talking, uh, Craig was talking about the, the marriage workshop, and it reminded me a lot of uh, this movie, Craig, called This Is 40. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Nope. Um, it's it's a it's a funny movie, and it's like it's almost like um, it's almost like a a spinoff movie from Forty Year Old Virgin. Hmm. Anyway, it's about a couple and they turn 40 and they go, they go to counseling. And one of the things that the counselor tells them is exactly what you heard in the marriage workshop about. You can't say blame to other people. You can't say you, you have to use I statements. And so it just really made me think of that. It's a funny movie. Check it out. This is 40. Is is it funny? Cause they say, I hate the way you do that. I think maybe. <laughs> But it's Missing just funny. the point. It's just funny in general. Sorry. What's your pick, Craig? Um, I'm going to pick Jessica Kerr's talk uh, about opera, not not the uh, web browser, but the, the music at, at Agile Deliver. Um, 
I have seen parts of this talk before. I haven't watched this particular video, but it did just get released, uh, I think, today. Um, and Jessica's always got exciting, interesting talks, and she weaves together um, opera and software development. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think I saw some people tweeting about that who uh, maybe saw the talk live uh, at wh- wherever she was. So very cool. All right, check those picks out and uh, keep living this Agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.